Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are joined, as always, to preview the 2023 Seattle Seahawks and NFL season at large by third Pelton brother, Ben Baldwin, who you have seen in person within the last couple of weeks here. He does exist. Yes, I experienced um, the Pelton brothers as well as the famous uh, smoke over Seattle in August. Um, Got a little taste of everything in Seattle and, and now we're back here and this is this has got to be one of the most exciting times of the year with the season about to start and everybody very hopeful and optimistic. And at this point, anything could happen before all of your players, favorite players get injured or something like that happens. It's unclear whether you're talking about fantasy football or the actual <laughs> NFL, but probably true either way. Probably true either way. All right. Well, let's start off by talking about the Seahawks, a team that a year ago, we, we were in a very different headspace about after the Russell Wilson trade uh, where I unveiled, I think I was it on, I, I guess it was maybe on the weekly pod that I unveiled my take that the Seahawks were going to beat the Broncos and it would be the high point of their season. And I was half right on that one. Uh, now, all of a sudden, I mean, what was the high point of their season beyond that? There wasn't like one game that you would point to where you're like, that's the high point of the season. I feel like it still kind of was. Fair point, but it was not all downhill from there I, yes. su- I suppose it's safe to say is it looked after two weeks like it might or three weeks after it might be uh we're in a different space right now with the seahawks with some legitimate expectations uh they have upgraded it seems on defense and yet the rest of the world does not seem all that high on the seattle seahawks a line of nine wins in over under in vegas and today the uh the first dvoa projections now at FTN came out and the Seahawks outside of the negative DVOA projection, slightly outside the playoffs, 45% of simulations, they make it. What, what do we make of this? Yeah. The, the first thing I did when I opened, when I saw that the DVOA projections were out is I opened the page, scrolled down to Seattle and saw, I think it was 25th and 7th. I was like, Oh, this makes sense. They, they'll probably have about the seventh best offense and the 25th best defense. So that's probably pretty similar to last year. But it's actually the opposite of that. They're projected to have the seventh best defense, which I think is kind of crazy. And maybe we'll talk about that. And then the 25th best offense, which I also think is, I would be very surprised if their defense were that, or their offense were that bad. So um, maybe the overall projection as the Seahawks is about an average team. I think that makes sense. But the, um, the, the strength of the units is somewhat surprising to me. Do we have to take these DBOA projections seriously? I mean, I think we should take them seriously, yes. Just like, it it doesn't necessarily pass the sniff test about the team. And I do think sometimes, you're a person who does projections, ESPN senior writer Kevin Pelton, at some point when you see something that's, this is not an extreme outlier, but it kind of doesn't pass the sniff test. Having an offense that was a top 10 offense last year, all of a sudden regressing. If the things that we know are true about football, and I will say this over and over and over again about this podcast, is that the thing that is more consistent year to year is offense. And the thing that is less consistent year to year is defense and turnovers, right? So, and usually those two things being linked. The defense improving, I wouldn't be surprised about. The offense, when you're talking about 
honestly, almost no subtractions from this offense, right? When you're looking at that and you're talking about only additions a year older on the offensive line with young offensive linemen to get to the 25th, 25th best offense in the NFL, a lot would have to go wrong. Wow. If I had, if I the had disrespect to guess, to, uh... the disrespect to Austin Blythe. <laughs> if I had to guess, a lot of that projection would be coming from a lot of offensive performances driven by quarterbacks and maybe the weight placed on Geno Smith's entire career is higher than the weight placed on Geno Smith last year. And I, I think if I were doing it, my guess would be that how he played last year would be more predictive of how we should expect him to play this year in the same offense with the same experience. But if, if you're building a projection, it's easy to see how you might not think that Seattle would have good quarterback play this year. But there was one team that I saw in there whose offense, Oh, it was, I, I, there were a few of these, but the Niners offense, if that's what we're talking about, right, is the primary thing is quarterback play year to year. They are much less. They, there is a much smaller sample size of success from the Niners quarterback and your starting perspective of him should be quite a bit lower. It's a lot more faith in those skill players of the 49ers to have them at six in offensive DVOA and the Seahawks at 25th if it really ultimately comes down to quarterback. That's where I, because that was my initial instinct when I first saw it. I was like, well, they're basically saying Gino is going to regress pretty significantly, which I don't agree with, but I understand that there are outlier one successful season quarterbacks. I think that's what DVOA is building in, and I get that, but I don't think that those quarterbacks necessarily look like Geno Smith. I mean, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that look like Geno Smith, period, for someone to have spent as long on the bench as he did and then get this opportunity and emerge as a pro bowler. Like, there's not a lot of comparisons in league history. I mean, you have guys that kind of bounce around and have one big season like this, you know, like uh, Case Keenum in Minnesota comes to mind with one the Vikings instinctively recognized was pretty fluky and gave him a very different, you know, let him walk and sign Kirk Cousins as opposed to the Seahawks bringing back Geno Smith. I mean, the market seemed more optimistic on Geno Smith than this, that he did get, you know, if it wasn't an elite, although it wasn't an elite starting quarterback deal, it was a clear starting quarterback deal and, you know, average or better starting quarterback. So I, I think that's a factor. The other thing I would point to uh, in terms of the Seahawks regressing on offense is health. Like across the board, the Seahawks were pretty healthy last season. They had the eighth lowest adjusted games lost uh, per football outsiders back before the the move of Aaron Schatz over to FTN Fantasy this offseason, as we'll uh, be referencing a few times throughout this. And if you look at it, you know, the, the injuries that they did have a lot of that was Jamal Adams on defense missing a lot of starts. Uh, they had a high number of players who were healthy the bulk of the season. 17 players started at least 15 games, tied with the Eagles for the most in the NFL, according to stathead.com. 10 of those were on offense. So basically, you know, there were a handful of, you know, games that were missed here and there by a Davian Lewis or an Abe Lucas or a Will Disley. But for the most part, the starting offense was out there every single game. And that's not something I think necessarily you can count on this season. Yep. That's a fair point. And there's not a lot of depth at certain positions, especially offensive line. And it, uh, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to guess what would happen if the Seahawks had a, 
uh, a 20, 22 Rams stretch of offensive line injuries when they were starting a bunch of backups. And I, I think that really would affect the offense. The one piece of good news is that they aren't, if JSN is as good as we think he is, they aren't quite as susceptible to wide receiver injuries as they have been in the past, where in the past we always said, oh no, what if Tyler Lockett gets hurt? There's DK Metcalf and nobody else. Well, maybe now they do have somebody else. So there's maybe somebody to help mitigate some of the injury risk this season. Not maybe. You you missed earlier <laughs> this week on the pod, Ben, when, when Jackson Smith and Jigma was already declared a steal of the NFL draft. <laughs> There's also Jake Bobo. Are we forgetting about Bobo? <laughs> also declared a steal of the undraft. <laughs> yeah, I think that's if you're looking for reasons for optimism about the Seahawks offense, besides just or you know the potential for them even to be better than last season when you know they finished 13th in offensive EPA per play. It's the addition of a third legitimate receiving threat. And then the other element is regression to the mean in terms of performance in the red zone. They were 27th in the percentage of trips to the red zone that ended in touchdowns. Uh, that's something that is, you know, enormously erratic from season to season in a case where, you know, if you're league average offense, but you're 27th in red zone TDs, you're probably going to score a lot more the next season, which wouldn't necessarily be reflected a lot in DVOA. That's more in kind of the transition to DV from DVOA to points, which is interesting because their DVOA, if I recall correctly last year, was somewhat better than their record, I think. So that's another thing I think that makes the projection surprising that it was below average is that, you know, as Tristan said, they kind of had the formula you want in terms of good offense, bad defense, ripe for regression. And the regression did show up on defense, but uh, it showed up much more dramatically on offense. How are we feeling about the Seahawks' chances of improving the run game? Something that is obviously a priority for them. They were 19th in EPA per play rushing last season. Uh, there was a lot of, there was a rough stretch after Ken Walker, the third took over as starter when there was a lot of stuffs in there. He did seem to improve at hitting the whole mid season. And then you've got the addition of, of Zach Charbonnet, but running backs don't drive rushing success. Offensive line drives that, uh, what are you thinking about this, Ben? Yeah, I think it's, unless there's extraordinary circumstances, it's hard to project any given team to be substantially better or worse better or worse than average at running the football and if the Seahawks were about average last year then I think it's probably reasonable to be to expect them to be about average running the ball this year despite using a second round pick on a third string running back it'll be second string oh did you guys miss the discourse on the depth chart released by the Seahawks <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I put very little stock in uh, in team-issued depth charts, I gotta say. Did you see the Eagles' depth chart at running back, by the way? What yeah, was that it? was good. They have four first-string running backs. And four they're listed in alphabetical order. So, Who are the Eagles running back? There's Kenneth Gainwell, DeAndre Swift. Penny. The only running back that matters. And who else? Austin I, Scott. Is yeah, he still there? That's after Wow. <laughs> Austin Scott still. Uh, they were probably listing DJ Dallas as basically third down back. They were yep, listing yep, back. yep. 
Charbonnet is going to be the starting running back of this team by the end of the year. And there's no doubt in my mind. Also, you're talking about an offensive line that's getting a year older. They're starting two rookie tackles last year. So if you're looking for hope for the run game to get better, it's partially just the pass protection getting better. But also them being more improved at everything is having a year in the league. I mean, you look at like the trade value rankings that came out from the ringer today, and Charles Cross is right there at number 72. That's not necessarily indicative of success on the field, but there are big expectations for Charles Cross this season to catapult to in his second year as one of the best left tackles in the league being in that conversation. And I don't think there's, you know, he might have even been outplayed by Abe Lucas as a rookie. No, I think he definitely was. Having those two players together with another year together on each side, running back with the same offense, receivers, quarterback, still a fairly similar offensive line on the whole. I think those are all reasons to expect the offense to continue to get better. Yeah, I think Cross's development, again, if you're looking for reasons for optimism about the Seahawks offense, that's one that allows you to kind of jump up a level and move into the top 10 potentially offensively if he if he takes a huge step forward in his second season. Do we is there anything else we should dig on specifically, or do we want to talk about just kind of expectations for where the Seahawks finish offensively based just on this conversation? We're gonna talk defense in a second. Yeah. Okay. Like if we're if we're ballparking an EPA per play or a DVOA at the end of the season, what's the range? So I think under tenth best would be somewhat of a disappointment and if everything goes right, then maybe just outside the top three or something. So wow. that is <laughs> I, that is optimistic. I think, I think I'm pretty. What did they finish in DVOA last year? I, I guess I should have this up. You say it was twelfth. I looked up EPA per play because oh, okay. the the old. I don't know if the archives are on FTN Fantasy or uh, yeah. I think those are part of the subscription part of the site. So uh, and Football Outsiders no longer seems to be functioning as a website whatsoever. <laughs> Although I guess I, I could have used archive <laughs> on that one. So I think like their wide receiver core has the potential to be incredibly good, like best in the league. Good. They could if if they get jumps from. Um, Cross and Lucas, like we talked about, they can have a very good offensive line. Um, we think Shane Waldron is a good play caller. And even if Geno Smith is an average to slightly above average quarterback, like all of those things together could result in a very good offense. Um, there's downside risk too, like we talked about with injuries or Geno Smith not being as good as he showed at times last year, or we think he is. But I, I think... If they're not an above average offense, I think it would be a pretty big disappointment. And personally, I'd be surprised um, as someone who's not even necessarily always optimistic about the Seahawks. I, I think they should have a pretty good offense and it could be a very good offense if a lot of things go right. Did Ben Baldwin just say that the expectation was <laughs> just outside of the top three, more or less guaranteed to be in the top 10 in offense? Did I hear that correctly? I think he said surprising if they were outside the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, I don't know if expectation is the right word, but any if, if they were not like a top 10 to 12 offense, it would be a disappointment. So yeah, I, I think I, th- I think I could put the expectation label on that. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so much more hyped about Seahawks football right now. <laughs> I'm always wrong about the Seahawks before the season starts, so I don't know if this is a good thing or not. <laughs> Still, even you having those expectations, I am shocked by Right? Are you not shocked by this, Kevin? I no, I am shocked by it as well. 
Yeah. I, I feel I like thought you, I was thinking like 10th through 15th. Ben is Ben is always the person who's most muted about things, right? Yeah, we'll get to the defense soon. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I think you're totally right. I, I mean, honestly, you're probably even more optimistic than I am about the offense. I, I think they should be a top 10 offense this year, though. With, with the, it's just the, the injury thing. It's literally, you could say that for any team. I do not believe that there is a team that is injury proof. So you can factor it in, but it's football. You know what I mean? Like the, but it's not injury proof. It's that last year's results are a function of your talent plus health. And so if you're projecting forward, you need to equalize the health. It's not necessarily that they're likely to have a lot of injuries. It's that other teams are not going to necessarily have the injuries that they had last year. I suppose players are going to get injured and the depth on offense is probably stronger than it was last year. I, I could also say, I, I think that the Seahawks could withstand a quarterback injury and still not be, still be a top 20 offense, even with a quarterback injury, given, given the talent and also Drew Locke being a relatively experienced backup quarterback. I don't think it would be catastrophic for the Seahawks. This wasn't like Russell Wilson era where we were just like, Please, God, do not let Russ get injured. Or some of the teams around the league where you look at it. I think the Seahawks are kind of built, and this is what Pete Carroll ultimately is looking for, to withstand a quarterback injury or not be solely reliant on the quarterback. Bennett, where are you at with Drew Locke? Did you watch the preseason? I was traveling in various places and have not seen any any of the preseason. Um, so I I don't really have Drew Lock takes, but I I would expect that he would not be as good as Geno Smith. Right. I mean, I think not <laughs> as good, but can he be? The question is probably can he be like you know keep do what Geno Smith basically did when Russell Wilson was injured two seasons ago and keep you afloat during a stretch of games. And I think he probably can do that. He didn't. Wasn't the only game they won with Geno against the Urban Meyer Jaguars? So I, I think Drew Luck could be that good. <laughs> yeah. It was like their best DVOA of the season. And the losses were both close. You know, it was final drive losses. So I feel like that's a reasonable standard. So I'm clearly the pessimist on the Seahawks offense here. I guess let's flip around and talk about the defense since Ben's got some some defensive takes he wants to get off. Well, I guess I previewed my takes because I, I said I thought 7th and 25th was right for the, the Seahawks units, and I just thought that 25th was going to be the defense. And I guess, so again, like like with the running game, we, we shouldn't really have strong projections outside of average on defense. Um, so maybe my takes are a little bit too strong. Um, like, we shouldn't expect them to be a really bad defense. But they have not been a good defense for a long time. They don't really have any impact players on defense except for maybe Tariq Woolen. Like they, they don't really have star power. There's no, like they don't have star pass rushers. Um, I'm not convinced that Jamal Adams has shown, even if he comes back, that he's really a difference maker in this defense in terms of like actually stopping the other team from moving the ball. So I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic on this side of the ball. We also don't know what Jordan Brooks is going to look like after his injury. So there's a lot of factors Oh, and the rush defense and the whole lack of interior offensive linemen. There's just a lot of factors that I think are question marks. And I don't really have a ton of faith in this coaching staff, as we've seen over the past couple of years, to bring it together, especially in the beginning part of the season where we've seen the defense really struggle over the past couple of seasons. Bobby Wagner doesn't change anything for you? So Bobby Wagner is 
I have no idea what to think about Bobby Wagner because there are some people that say like, oh, he's still he's still Bobby Wagner. He's one of the best players in the league. But then like all the film people on Twitter are like he's completely washed. He like the Rams didn't ask him to do anything last year. He can't move. He can't cover anybody. His knees are shot. So I like I'm I'm not a film expert myself, but I hear all these differing opinions and I just have no idea what to make of it. And I, I'm putting all this together i'm not convinced that he's the one that's going to come in and transform this defense i'm convinced he's better than cody barton <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's probably fair <laughs> that's the standard <laughs> i mean we don't know if jordan brooks can be but also jordan brooks wasn't very good last season either <laughs> so i feel like by default they have to they have to get better there unless jordan brooks is playing injured and much worse than jordan brooks last year or not injured, but not quite a hundred percent. The the first right. year after the the recovery can be hard. Are you going last? Yeah, I I think this defense is going to be a lot better. I mean, both the addition of you look at Draymond Jones, Bobby Wagner, adding in those players, the secondary and the depth. We haven't seen Devin Witherspoon at all, and if Devin Witherspoon even has a minor impact, I still think the secondary is a very deep secondary with Jamal Adams coming back, both at safety and at corner. We know the most important position on the defense is still the secondary moving forward. So, like, if what we're talking about is that the rush defense isn't going to be very good, if there's one thing that you could choose on defense to be the worst at, you have to be worse at something. Rush defense is still what I would prefer to be the worst at of all the positions that pass defense, than pass rush, than linebackers, right? And so if... If that's it, I think Bobby Wagner is going to help huge. I mean, he didn't play in a single preseason game. Like, Bobby Wagner is going to have an impact on this rush defense. There's no way that he's not going to uh, as the the leader of that defense in the middle. And it was still a young defense last year, all things considered. So you still have to factor in probably some progression from the defense overall. I would be surprised, knowing that defense, again, is not necessarily consistent and things like sacks and turnovers are probably not necessarily going to be consistent from year to year. I still think if you start at base, this is the 16th best defense in the NFL and they could be plus or minus a couple of spots there. If they are the 14th to 18th best defense in the NFL, I think that is a great place to be, especially when paired with that top 10 offense. And I think when you look at the talent on the team, that's what you have to go in expecting them to be because they're definitely not at like bottom 10 tier talent defense i think overall yeah i think what i would say is that ben sort of mentioned there's not a lot of star talent on on defense but i don't think there's a lot of glaring weaknesses in the way that there were last season i think that's my hope is that they've they've addressed that i i think the run defense piece of it is interesting because i this is something tristan and i have talked about offline my concern is Pete carroll is going to tilt over the fact that the team struggled to defend the run last year and going to be, you know, so concerned with stopping the run that it is going to op- open up opportunities for the pass. It's sort of along the lines of what we talked about with, you know, Boise State's defense against the Huskies on Saturday in week one. Like, great, you managed to stop the run. How did that work out when guys were streaking through the secondary? Not that it, I don't think that's going to happen, but you understand what I'm saying. I would. I would much rather let a team run all over me all day, as frustrating as it is, than give up big plays. I just, I I don't know if Andy Avalos 
could be compared to Pete Carroll here. Like uh, that is that is an extreme comparison. But but, but the but thing is, Pete Carroll you know, had a top ten this- pick. Yes, he did not take a run defender. He took a he took a pass defender. There were run defenders out there. There were pass rushers out there. There was every single position that was out there. And the thing that that Pete Carroll and John Schneider prioritized, right? They said that there were like two players that they would have drafted. I can't even remember who the other one was, right? Or they would have been uh, Will Anderson if he would have fallen, and I think a question mark and Devin Witherspoon with that pick. Those were the three players that they saw that they fell in love with. Devin Witherspoon is a good tackling corner as well. He is going to help with this. I'm so excited to see Devin Witherspoon. And I think people are forgetting that he's on the roster a little bit. He's not just going to help in the secondary. But if Pete Carroll was so consumed by this idea of run defense, he would have drafted a fucking player who helped out the run defense. You know what I mean? Like, they would have done that. This was an advanced level pick by Pete Carroll to select Devin Witherspoon. We don't know about the individual necessarily, but position-wise, and we still have talked about this a lot, the only thing that you should really judge in the draft is more or less positions rather than players. Position-wise, they drafted a player at an elite-level position at one of the most important positions on the field and at a position of strength for the team already. That's what I have to say about your tilting for Pete Carroll. Okay. As Ben pointed out, defense has not been good for a long period of time. It's been a number of different defensive coordinators. It's been a lot of different players. There's been one common denominator. I agree with that. But also what we were talking about is the late stage capitalism Seahawks. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) this is the Seahawks after trading their draft picks many years in a row. And that talent is now rebuilding, right? This isn't the Niners in two years. You know what I mean? Where the talent is dwindling over and over and over again. The Rams right now. This is the Seahawks after having the drafts for multiple years after making those draft picks on defense and getting better. So you're talking about how many, everybody from their draft this year is on the roster. They have last year's draft where they had multiple picks and high picks. This is a more talented defense than it has ever been. And Boye Mafe could well, not, not ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> or, it, it more talented defense than it has been in probably five years as the overall youth plus talent, what they have like, Uchenuoso could become a star. Boyamafe could become a star. Like, there are pass rushers who could have monster years this year. I think, yeah, in the number of outs they have at pass rusher is, I think, something that's encouraging. Like, Nuoso at this point has established a baseline of being a, you know, an above average pass rusher. And if, you know, Gerald Taylor joins him, if Boyamafe, you know, can get to good enough, you know, providing a, a pass rush threat while also being a run stuffer on early downs, like those. Those kind of things work out, and they've just you invested, as you say, a lot of second round draft capital at that position. In, in addition to the money they spent on Nuo, so now I think if you're going to address concerns for the Seahawks defense, like if, as bad as they were overall, they were really good. As you talked at the two things you talked about that are unlikely to repeat season to season, they were 11th in forcing turnovers last season. They were eighth in sack rate. So that's a little bit, I would say, of a concern of maybe they improve on all the other plays, but that's offset to a degree by not making as many big plays defensively. <laughs> not in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, th- those two things in uh, red zone performance, which I don't have in front of me, are like the three big random things for defense. Yeah. 
I mean, pretty much everything, but the most consistent is going to be kind of how good you are on a play to play basis. Uh, red zone defense, these Seahawks were 24th. So that is not a thing that uh, they have to worry about getting a whole lot, whole lot worse this season. Okay. I think it would be totally fair to assume that DVOA is right about the defense and wrong about the offense. <laughs> just cherry pick the thing that is the best outcome for us. I mean, if they're top 10 on both sides of the football, I think it's going to be a very, very fun season. I, I would say my expectations for the Seahawks defense are around 15th to 20th. So I think they will be better this season, close to league average, but I, I, I would be surprised if they were substantially above average defense at this point. So now we put those two together, I guess, unless we want to go into how good we think the special teams is going to be. Uh, the, Number the D- two on DVOA. Yeah, DVOA. <laughs> that, that was one thing also I, before I looked at the individual component splits, I was wondering if that was a possibility of where they were seeing regression to the mean because the Seahawks have been quite good on special teams for a long period of time, but they also invest a lot in their uh, you know, certainly with Michael Dixon, you know, Jason Myers kicking is still pretty inconsistent from season to season, but uh, they've invested a lot there. And then uh, with Nick Ballor as a, a special teams contributor. Hunting is pretty consistent and they, they definitely have a punter. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Rams, by the way, do not have a kicker on their 53 man roster, but they do have one on the practice squad who presumably they're going to be ele- elevate. So it will not be all fourth downs all the time for Sean McVay on Sunday, sadly. Uh, okay. So like overall DVOA and, and then what does that translate into record it record wise? Ben, you want to go first? Like where will they finish in DVOA? Yeah. Uh, or EPA, whatever you want to do. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll say like, 10th so a range of a guess of like from 8th to 12th and i don't know if the revisions to dvoa have fixed the thing where dvoa always loved the seahawks disproportionately to like point differential and epa for play and all this other stuff well you know what it did oh yeah we all know what it did okay (laughs) so i guess it doesn't love the seahawks yeah yep yeah yeah it, so it does not love the Seahawks. Am I aware of this? <laughs> not, the pro, not the projection. The fact that they are no longer. Am I aware of this? <laughs> okay, the I, greatest just... travesty in human history. <laughs> DVOA should not be a living thing. The second you finished top in DVOA at the end of a season, you're top in DVOA at the end of the season. This isn't the fucking NCAA with Reggie Bush. You don't get to take back. The championships, <laughs> there are banners up for this shit, Aaron Schatz. It is done. They are DVOA champions four years in a row, set in stone. People have made cups. They have hung the banners. It's finished. It is not an evolving thing. You can use the past to project into the future if you want, but that does not change how the past is worse, how the past worked. <laughs> God. This has happened before because um, they made some tweaks to how um, defenses were rewarded for stopping offenses while playing in a dome. So the Seahawks number one defense DVOA 2014 was lost to the Lions because the, the Lions defense looked more impressive because they played in a dome. So this wow. is a, a continuing pattern. <laughs> uh. Am I aware of this? I I didn't realize it until today. I until I read the article. Is about Dominic it. Canzone Italian? I'm aware of it. 
Oh, yeah, uh, so DVOA, for some reason that I think not even Aaron is fully sure about, has always been higher on the Seahawks than other metrics, such as like point differential or how betting markets see them and stuff like that. So, um, so, so maybe eighth place in DVOA is like 10th place in point differential or EPA for play differential or something like that. But I, I think the Seahawks will be an above average team this year, but I thought they were going to be terrible last year. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think the expectation that we have to go into the year with is I keep saying have to, you don't have to do anything. Uh, it's football. <laughs> Literally nothing is required of you, but I think the expectation that we should go into the year with is the Seahawks are a playoff caliber team. They're in the playoffs right now until they're not. And that is competing for the division with the 49ers, obviously. And I think that means that they're about 10th in DVOA. They're probably in that wild card range. Could do a little bit better, could do a little bit worse, but I think they're going to be pushing for that. And ultimately, when you look at the, the, uh, Pythagorean wins from both FBI, from both DVOA, has them at at like a hair over eight for both. And I think the team is going to be a little bit better than that. But it's not even, the DVOA is quite down on the Seahawks overall. But it's ultimately not that far down on wins that they're going to have in the season. So I, I think that's something that if they exceed those DVOA expectations, that could mean one to two extra wins beyond that. That could put them at 10 and seven, 11 and six, somewhere around there. Because if they're winning, if they're winning over eight games, not over eight games, if they're winning about eight games on average as the 20th best team in DVOA, if they're the 10th best team in DVOA, that's quite a few more wins. I suppose so. It's probably, you know, because all these are, the projections are pretty heavily regressed to the mean is a, a big factor in it. I mean, last year, they but finished... they're, they're schedule related. You look at how many NFC teams get extra wins because of how weak the NFC is. It's, it's pretty staggering. There are AFC teams that are much better in DVOA that do not have the Pythagorean win projections. And the Seahawks ultimately, what once was one of the best divisions in the NFL is now looking like it's a two-team division. Well, that's an With- interesting question that we we will address a little more when we talk about the Rams. I, I I'd be hard pressed to find someone who thinks the Cardinals are going to compete for the NFC West exactly. this year. And, and with possibly, it, it is a two teams look like legitimate playoff contenders. There's one team who seems like they could have a chance to have the worst record in the NFL, and there are a lot of different ranges of outcome for the Rams. But one of those outcomes could be being one of the worst teams in the NFL as well. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering about that, but. Last year, the Seahawks won four games against those teams, had the extra home game because the NFC was hosting the 17th game last season and went nine and eight. So I don't know if it's a huge factor. I mean, the Seahawks were 10th in DVOA last year. If you look at the EPA team tiers on Ben's website, rbsdm.com, there's basically 10 teams that were ahead of them and then just kind of a morass around that 11th spot that included the Seahawks. Morass is a technical term in this case, statistical. So I, I, I am with everyone else here. I think in that same ballpark of finishing probably tenth through fifteenth overall. If you look at being, you know, a little bit above average on offense, a little bit below average on defense, I'm a little more confident in the offense being above average and the defense being a little below average, and offense is a little more important. So all of those add up to a slightly above average team that is. You know, depending on schedule, somewhere in that eight to nine win range on average, which is 
where everyone ex- expects them to be going into this season. So we're going to do the uh, the Seahawks it, over under right here. It, it, I want to say, I, sure, we can do the Seahawks over under right here. If I'm feeling hot takey, I have to say, I again have to have to say this. It's deep inside me. If I'm feeling hot takey. I don't necessarily understand why the Seahawks are not in the conversation for one of the best teams, the NFC. It seems like people have chosen the, obviously the Eagles and the 49ers as sort of the class of the NFC with the Cowboys. And then after that, there's a huge drop off for everybody else. I think there's one more team in that. The Lions? Yeah. I think the Lions are pretty clearly considered ahead of the Seahawks. The Lions are definitely considered ahead of the Seahawks. We're still talking about a Jared Goff. I guess maybe not. Team. They're only a, they're only a half game higher in terms of their line. I I just there are questions. I think that the Eagles and the Cowboys have a lot less questions than almost anybody else. Every other team in the NFC, I have serious questions about, and I think the Seahawks ultimately I probably have less than most of those teams. The Seahawks are more established on both sides of the ball than almost any team in the NFL, aside from or in the NFC, aside from the Eagles and the Cowboys. And one of those, te- those teams have both, they've come near in the regular season, their maximum potential, both the Eagles and the Cowboys have. So there's going to be some regression from one of those two teams. So what I'm saying is that I, I think that the Seahawks should be in the conversation for best teams in the NFC, partially because of the schedule and the division, but also because there just aren't that many good teams in the NFC as far as we know right now. I fully agree that there aren't that many good teams in the NFC, but the there was such a big gap between the Seahawks and the top three teams last year that, like, yes, they can close the gap. Um, they have a lot of young players. A lot of them could improve, and there's a lot of randomness in football. But like, even just looking at the point differentials last year, the Seahawks were plus six. The Eagles were plus 133. The Cowboys were plus 125. The 49ers were plus 173. And beat the Seahawks by like 50 points over the three times they played. So they like, I understand why the 49ers are viewed as being above the Seahawks right now. Uh, Just a reminder about the schedule in case you haven't looked at it in a while as I haven't Uh, the Seahawks play the NFC East this year, which means they get two of those top teams in in the conference in Dallas and Philadelphia. They play the AFC North, which is a good but probably not notably good AFC division because all the AFC divisions are are good. And then uh, there's uh, one, the South is not good. <laughs> all right, fair. They, they don't get that benefit. Three of the AFC divisions are good. And then there are other games outside of that are they play at Tennessee. They do get one of those AFC South teams. Uh, the the at Detroit game coming up in week two, which is going to be a really interesting one against two teams. Um, uh, between two teams that you know the last wild card spot came down to them last year and then their other game is i have have missed it on the schedule here carolina which is week three so the the two nfc non you know divisions you entirely play come in week two and three so that's that's not an exceptionally dr- difficult group is a second place schedule. All right, Seahawks over under is 9 wins. They're one of a handful of teams that has a straight win total as opposed to a half in there. I hate, uh, that. I hate the straight win total. I think there are four in the entire league. Are you going over or under? 
I'll take the over. I think it would be um, surprising if they had a losing record for reasons we've, or at least I've, 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 I've come around on. Um, nine would be not at all surprising. So then I guess in that case, it doesn't matter what you pick. And I, I think they could get to 10 wins um, if the Cardinals are as bad as we think they are and the Rams end up punting on this season. I'm over also. I'm going to go the lone under here just because I think it's more likely to go eight and nine than it is to go 10 and seven. So that, I mean, that's, that's a hard, hard ask, but we'll see on that one. There are a lot of hard games on this looking at their schedule. <laughs> yeah. I've, I don't, I don't yeah. The schedule, I don't know where you're like, they're lucky. I mean, the extra games are not necessarily that difficult, but yes. that's what I was speaking to specifically. <laughs> Again, the NFC East is hard. The AFC North is hard. Literally any team in the AFC North could beat the Seahawks. I, I have no idea who I think is going to win the AFC. North. I mean, the Cle- we'll get to them, but the Cleveland projections are fascinating. And it's kind of the same with the AFC East. You know, the amount of times that like Seahawks, Washington being the worst team in that division is they're still a pretty scary team. And same with the Giants. Their schedule before the bye looks, the first four weeks looks yeah, so they easy. They <laughs> and then, yeah, afterwards, it's like, oh, you're going to go to Cincinnati, Baltimore, Dallas, and San Francisco. <laughs> wow, they have host San Francisco at Dallas, at San Francisco, host Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is serious. All right, so before we move on, a little bit of Seahawks news on Wednesday is my ESPN colleague Field Yates was the first to report that the Seahawks had restructured Jamal Adams' contract to create $6.6 million additional cap space this season. Uh, John P. Gilbert uh, at John P. Gilbert NFL did the math that this means his salary goes down to the 1.08 million minimum salary, converting 9.92 million of what was salary to a bonus, and that pushes 3.3 million into each of 2024 and 2025 remaining on his cap. It does substantially somewhat increase Adam's cap hit uh, if he dead cap if he's released in 2024. So it's interesting. You know, given kind of the questions about Joel Adams' future, that this would be a move they make. But also, as we talked about back in the spring, the Seahawks have no other candidates for this type of move. Would you care to guess who is now the Seahawks' highest paid player in terms of base salary this season? Not bonus, just actual base weekly salary. Tyler Lockett. Nope. I think it's Will Disley. Will Disley. Oh, got it. That's million. the first ever time I've guessed something right. In like how many years this podcast? A decade? Oh no! You know what? I'm, oh, you know what? I'm wrong. He was. He's God second. damn it! The damn one it. time. Uh, the Noah, one time I had to. Noah Fant is at six point eight five million. I couldn't sort this, and I missed him when I was going through. It's all. It's all tight ends, though, huh? It is. It is all tight ends. Yeah. So, it, like. As much as everybody loves to talk about, oh, you know, the Seahawks, they hate, you know, these restructures of contracts. They would never do void years. They would never push things off into the future like those, you know, like the Saints or the Cowboys or all these teams that pretend the cap is real, isn't real until they have to release like 20 players and play all rookies one year like the Rams are doing this year. The Seahawks are pushing a lot of salary into the future right now. So we will see on that one. Obviously, they can carry over the cap space as well to 2024 if they don't use it all in season. But we will see. 
I think if they get anything from Jamal Adams this year, it is kind of just a bonus. Like almost any productive play. I, I don't think he can be counted on as a player on the defense necessarily. I still think they're a deep secondary even without him. But anything that they get from Jamal Adams would be exceptional. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, the the signing of Julian Love was an indication that they were going to be prepared to play without Jamal Adams. One of the things we obviously haven't seen because Jamal Adams hasn't practiced yet is how might they use the two of those guys together? Is Love going to play nickel corner? You know, how does Devin Witherspoon, is he at nickel corner? Is he playing on the outside? There's a lot of moving pieces on the Seahawks defense going into the season, which I... I, on the one hand, is a sign that they've got options in a way that maybe they didn't a couple years ago when it was like, hmm, might Sidney Jones replace Trey Flowers? At <laughs> but on the other hand, is a sign that you know everything's not completely set at the start of the season. That's completely set at the start of the season. Name any defense in the NFL that is completely set. This is the same shit that we talked about about like baseball rosters or whatever. Okay, they're not completely Ross- set, but there's not teams that have like their highest paid defender coming back to the team after a full year sideline due to injury after week one. That's that's somewhat unusual. And your top five draft pick is just starting to practice the you know come back to practice the week before the season opener. Obviously, he did get some work during training camp. Those are big moving pieces. But you know, who has a lot of moving pieces. It's the Los Angeles Rams. One of those pieces that will not be moving this week is we uh, is is Cooper Cup as expected. Sean McVay ruled him out for the season opener in Seattle on Wednesday due to this lingering hamstring injury. And you know, even relative to the injury plagued Rams that we saw last year, this team has a very different look, particularly on the defensive side of the football. There's no more Bobby Wagner. Obviously, it's, he's on the Seahawks side of the field. There's no more Jalen Ramsey. It's a lot of Aaron Donald, I think, just looking around like the Will Smith meme where everybody from the Super Bowl defense has gone. Uh, the Rams have the their 12 projected defensive starters. Uh, seven are in their first three years. They have just three remaining starters from the 2021 Super Bowl team. That's Donald, Jordan Filler, Fuller, and part-time starter Ernest Jones, who was a rookie that season. And they lost all seven defenders who started at least 12 games for them last season. <laughs> Wagner, Ramsey, Leonard Floyd, Taylor Rapp, Troy Hill, and Greg Gaines. Wow. So it's a pretty dramatic makeover. Offensively, they got Matthew Stafford back after the Seahawks did not face him at all last season, faced three different Rams quarterbacks, none of whom were Stafford. Uh, Stafford was not very good when he was on the field last season finishing 34th in Ben's EPA plus CPOA composite, one spot ahead of Russell Wilson. The Rams were 3-6 and six in Stafford's nine but starts 2-6 and six without him. What, what are our expectations for Stafford this season? It's hard to see them having a very good offense if Cooper Cup is still banged up. There's not really a lot else there, and I guess we'll see how their offensive line looks after Last year, they lost pretty much everybody, so I guess they yeah. will have some improvement there by just having some semblance of health again. It was kind of like the, it was the 2019 season where everybody got hurt and Jared Goff looked just terrible, and then once their offensive line was better again, then their offense looked better again. So maybe maybe there's some, some component of the Sean McVay offense where it just, like many, many offenses, just completely falls apart if there isn't adequate pass protection. So maybe... 
maybe they would be an average offense if Cooper Cup were still there. And if he's not, then it I would it is so hard to imagine how they would have an above average offense with Matthew Stafford as a quarterback and throwing to a bunch of guys. <laughs> the receiver options, they have holdovers, Van Jefferson, Tutu Atwell, Ben Skaronic. Uh Cup's injury also meets an opportunity for fifth round pick Puka Nakua. And the return Hello. to where he started his wow. college career at UW before transferring to BYU, where he scored 11 touchdowns in two years there before declaring for the draft. So, well, that that's something. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, the Rams. That's all I have to say about the Rams. Okay, that's <laughs> um, you, you were so concerned about doing this Rams preview. Uh, the Rams had the second highest adjusted games lost according to Football Outsiders tracking in 2022. They were previously in the bottom ten or the healthiest ten the previous six seasons, which was one of the factors in their success, along with spending a ton of money on veterans. I think we'd seen that, that there was such a strong correlation between Andrew Whitworth's health, right? Like the minute he arrived in LA, when he was on the field and when he was off the field, the offense looked completely different. So I think it's more for the quote unquote, Sean McVay offense. It was more specifically about Andrew Whitworth than almost anybody else, including Stafford being there. And with him being gone for a season, they were bad. And now having another year without him, it's not like the offensive line has been repaired. Yeah, that was the 2020 season. I think that the Rams offense was down where Goff really struggled and Whitworth was limited to nine starts that season before being healthy in Stafford's Super Bowl season. So, yeah, so the the Rams offense has really never been good without Andrew Whitworth. It it is fair to say. Uh, Expectations. Uh, football Outsiders projections have the Rams at six point or the I'm sorry, FTN fantasy projections. I got to catch myself for DVOA have the Rams projected for 6.4 wins, 22nd on offense, 30th on defense. They were 29th in offense and 21st in defense in terms of EPA per play last year. So the defense was the stronger suit with the offensive line. So banged up. But now with all those defections, the expectation is the offense will be better. And that's assuming a healthy Cooper Cup. I I think so. I don't know if they have that factored in necessarily. It wasn't one of the things that Aaron Schatz mentioned. So what are our expectations for Sunday? It's a Seahawks-Rams game, so you can never say anything that definite, but it would like it's a home game against a team that has so many young, inexperienced players, and the Seahawks... Um, as we've talked about before, have a lot of continuity, especially on offense. So they're favored by five and a half points. I They should win this game. If they don't win this game, then sure, there's a lot of randomness in the NFL, but I think it would be um, not a good um, indicator of what might come in the rest of the season. So hopefully they will kind of quote unquote, take care of business and have a comfortable win. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right to me. Uh Obviously, like you mentioned, Ben, you're always nervous playing against the Rams uh, in the Sean McVay era, but times have changed a little bit. I mean, you mentioned there were two wins against them last year, right? Yep. Uh, which would have been the first time in Sean McVay's tenure that the Seahawks won both games against the Rams. Maybe his first season. It has not been an easy thing to do, but this is a radically different team. Yeah. I mean, uh, his first season was the 42 to seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of the, I'm thinking of the Jared Goff's first season as starter, but yep. that pre- yeah. predated Sean McVay. This is not the same Rams team as it was. 
aside from Aaron Donald being there. It's a radically different team. And I think those DBA projections, assuming they do include Cooper Cup, you're talking about subtracting maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL, or at least the best wide receiver in the NFL when he was healthy two years ago. It's a pretty different team. What I'm most excited about is seeing this Seahawks defense in particular and going out there, seeing all those new players, seeing Bobby Wagner back. I can't freaking wait to watch this defense. I think the offense will look very, very good. Love that JSN is going to be healthy for this game, playing in week one after the broken hand. Uh, I'm so stoked to see the debut of the rookies and the impact that they have. And so many players that the preseason just doesn't count. It has been a long time since we've seen these players play. We were talking about nine months since a pretty unfortunate end of the season in the playoffs. And that to me is what I'm most excited for and having it come against the Rams. If they can, like you mentioned, Ben, take care of business. I think it'll be very, very fun to kick off this, this season and this era for the Seahawks against an old foe. And while they're down, maybe kick them a little bit. I mean, that would be nice. I, I do think people have kind of overstated how like competitive the Rams were with the Seahawks in the, in the two games last season, they did like have the lead late into the fourth quarter in the game in LA and then the game in Seattle went into overtime, but the Seahawks in both of those games outgained them by at least a yard per play. It was a yard and a half per play in the game in LA. Uh, they had two turnovers in each of those games. So there was definitely some, some luck involved in the Rams being as close as they are. And that's why, you know, it's only a five and a half point spread for even despite all the things we've been saying that did go up. I think I saw it at four and a half, uh, probably about a week ago. I don't know if it had gone down previously, but it does seem to reflect Cooper Cup's uh, absence, and you know that he he is significant enough, even as a non-quarterback, to to move the line a little bit. It's a week week one spread too, which it's going to be a little yeah. bit muted as a week one spread. Yes, chances of victory in this one. The betting market has seventy percent. I think I'm higher unless you ask on that, so I'll say eighty percent. I was going to say eighty also. All right, I'm going to say 75 and be the usual Tristan minus 5%. I hate the Seahawks. Some, year we, need to, some year we need to track this. Uh, we What we did track, <laughs> to quickly revisit this before we do over-unders, which we also will obviously track, uh, last, uh, at the season wrap-up podcast that we traditionally do, we did the percentage chances of players returning. We also did this with Mike Sean Dugard, third Feldman brother, of the athletic on a subsequent podcast he did it after jason myers uh had extended his contract with the team so he did not do that one uh gino smith ben said 80 percent. tristan said 80 percent. i said 85 mike sean said 95 uh drew lock tristan said 67 or ben said 67 tristan said 90 i had 75 mike sean had 10 percent, so he he lost on that, that yeah. one rashad penny Ben had 60%. Tristan had 85%. This was a big loser for me. Oh. I had 95% chance. 95. <laughs> I did. I undervalued him just wanting a change of scenery. Uh, Mike Sean had 50%. He was closest to the pin on that one. Austin Blythe. Uh, this was a little different since it was his retirement. You were the closest to the pin, Ben, at 10%. Tristan, 25. Me, 30. Mike Sean, 50. Puna Ford. Uh, uh. Ben and Mike Sean both had it 40% closest to the pin. Tristan had it 50. I had 65. Cody Barton, another one I was way off on. 
Ben had 75, Tristan had 60, I had 85, Mike Sean was closest at 40, and Jason Myers, Ben had 80, uh, Tristan had 60, and I had 70. So if you score that all in terms of the distance from the actual outcome, uh, if you include everyone, Ben was number one, Tristan number, or if you don't include Jason Myers, I should say, Ben was number one, Tristan number two, Mike Sean number three, me a pretty distant fourth. Uh, If you do include Myers, still the same results among the three of us, although Ben opens up his lead over Tristan. So congrats on your off-season prognosticated. Yeah, both the 2022 win totals and Seahawks off-season. We, we really See. need to redeem ourselves so that it's not just <laughs> you as third Belton brother hosting this podcast going forward. Did Ben win the 2022 win totals? Oh, did I win the win totals? Okay. I mean, we were all good. We all did okay. well. Uh, I, were you, you were three for three on locks, Ben? Yeah, I have. I've never gotten a lock wrong. I think I was twenty four out of thirty two, and Tristan was twenty three out of thirty two. Tristan was twenty two. I was twenty one. Okay. So okay. we we all were solidly above five hundred last season. We'll see if we can repeat that success. These lines uh, again from William Hill uh, is of today. I have updated them. We start with the lowest to win total in the NFL. The Arizona Cardinals at four and a half wins. Heavy action on the under is Josh Dobbs prepares to open the season for the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray on the pop list. Ben? Four and a half is so low, but it's, yeah, it's just hard to see how they're going to win games. They kind of remind me of last year's Texans. So I guess I will take the under and I already feel horrible about this. (laughs) Tristan? I'll go under two. I don't want to. I, I hate the really low win totals, but I'll stick with under. I I got to think that there's a, there's a bit of a master plan at play here if you're starting Josh Dobbs at quarterback in week one. Like you, you've got your eyes on the prize, and that's Caleb Williams, who, uh, whose father told, I, I forget who reported this the other day, that uh, he would pay attention to which franchise was getting the number one pick before deciding whether to enter the NFL. I, I still would be very surprised if he didn't. So it's definitely worth trying to lose some games this year. So I'm I hope Luke is a really good athlete. I don't for baseball. You, that doesn't really happen. It's like, <laughs> you Mar- really want to get situation. interviewed. I just want to be like saying crazy shit as somebody's dad. <laughs> Please don't like you. Unless it's like, on the podcast. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I'll podcast yeah. about it. His, his recruiting or whatever. But yeah. it's like, how much is Caleb Williams? actually talking to his dad about this outside of like just pontificating you know what i mean like when it actually gets down to it i i get that there's nil money or whatever but being in the nfl is a lot better than being in college and if you're going to be a lock number one pick in the draft he's probably going the other thing about nil is it doesn't get you closer to that second contract which is when you're really going to make money so you know i think that's that's probably more of a difference maker if you're like you know a, a mid-round pick than it is if you're the number one pick all right, Atlanta Falcons, a trendy team this year after adding drafting a running back in the top 10. You know, that's how you win over projection systems because they have a line of eight and a half wins and DVOA has them projected for 10.3. I don't know how this is possible. I think a lot of it is like last year's Giants where they're not a good team, but they just have a joke of a schedule. So they're just going to fall into wins and 
like last year's Giants, I think the Falcons are probably good enough to win some games against their schedule. So I will take the over on that. I'm definitely not taking the over on the Atlanta Falcons on this one. Uh, even if they win games against their schedule, that's still a lot of wins to come up with. And you're talking about Desmond Ritter, who there's some young quarterbacks who I like and have faith in, but Desmond Ritter is not one of them. They might get some just Arthur Smith grinded out victories, but this this team is not good. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty skeptical in this one. I know they have, you know, a lot of different offensive weapons that they can use in different ways, but I still think those ways are mostly going to be in pursuit not, of four yard runs. Not throwing to them. <laughs> a lot of different offensive weapons yeah. that they can use in many ways by not throwing the ball to them. Baltimore Ravens have a line of nine and a half wins. Pretty heavy action on the over here. Man. Okay. I I hope I don't take the over on every team, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna say over for the um the third time to start. Um, I I think they sh- they should be expected to be a good regular season team unless they're decimated by injuries, which is what happened last year. Um, I know their division is hard and probably a lot harder. And even as I'm saying this, I'm somewhat second guessing this, but I I think they could probably get to ten wins. Absolutely an over on the Ravens, no doubt in my mind. Is that, I, I close to with the Ravens. <laughs> I, I have not been picked under on Arizona. That's what I thought. You said, oh, but you, you I, said... I, I wrote over in my spreadsheet, but yes, I, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I feel better now. <laughs> That's like all it takes Tristan move. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Buffalo Bills, a line of 10 and a half. I think I'm going to say over again for them they were incredible before again they they're another team that got hurt by injuries and especially Vaughn Miller and then um, Josh Allen hurting his elbow and it's their division has gotten a lot better but for me it's somewhat hard to picture them as a 10 and 7 team so I I think over is more likely yeah I'm going over here also let's make it a clean sweep uh, Carolina Panthers with the number one pick, Bryce Young, a line of seven and a half wins. This is an easy under for me with rookie quarterback. And they, they're another team with the joke of a schedule, but I, I'm i pretty skeptical on them this year. Why is that line so high? It's, it's the schedule that the South teams play against both South divisions. So that's like uh, 10 games against the AFC South and NFC South. I get it. And so that's probably why the Falcons are kind of artificially high. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, this is def. If this weren't such a high spread, I would have the Panthers over. I think the Panthers are going to be better than people expect. And I do think that Bryce Young right now, I mean, you and I have thought about this a little bit, Kevin. The idea that Anthony Richardson is basically the only rookie quarterback getting any hype, especially as far as fantasy goes. But in general, there's not a lot of talk about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Maybe, I, maybe I'm missing that, but I do feel like those two quarterbacks are probably going to end up being better than people expect. I could see Bryce Young being a really good quarterback this year. That's a lot of wins, though, to get to for that Panthers team. So I still have to be under on that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll make that one a clean sweep as well. I, the only reason I would consider it besides you know, generally believing in Bryce Young is I, I also am a big believer in Frank Reich, who... You know, he never had the quarterback in Indianapolis and it took a very bad bet on Carson Wentz to end his Colts career uh, 
or eff- effectively end his Colts tenure, I guess, because he was there with Matt Ryan last year, right? Uh huh. Or was he not Matt Ryan last year? Hmm? Was it Matt Ryan last? Phil Rivers. It went Carson. Wait. Phil Rivers, Carson Wentz. Then Phil Matt Rivers, Ryan. Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. Okay. I just can't remember what they they fire Frank Reich after the the Carson Wentz season or was it midway through? They last fired year? him mid season and yeah, fired okay, Jeff yeah, Saturday yeah, as their coach. Yes. Jeff Saturday, yes, of course. <laughs> Anyways, Simmons and Cousin Sal were talking about Frank Reich on when they did their over unders podcast. What is it about Frank Reich that makes you think he's a good coach? I, what has he aside from the Philly special? And and I had the same impression also, but they were going through it and I was like, wow, he might be a bad coach. Has definitely gotten his team to competent a couple of years but still with quite a bit of talent like there wasn't one of those years in the Carson Wentz or obviously quarterback Carson Wentz and Phil Rivers years they probably should have made the playoffs at least one of those times and didn't and they made the playoffs in the Rivers year right the Wentz year they just had to win week 17 at Daryl Bevel led (laughs) Jacksonville no that was very much the Wentz year they were they they were hard knocks in season the Rivers year they lost to the Bills in the playoffs, I think. So, I I respected him a lot in hard knocks in season. I got I'll, I'll say that much. All right, Chicago Bears, a line of seven and a half. Wow, that is high. I'm taking the under. Is every uh, line like this? Every line is seven <laughs> and a half. <laughs> not every line is seven <laughs> and a half. Believe it or not. I guess we could see a Justin Fields leap, and then this would look silly. But th- this team had the worst record in the league last year, and it wasn't like it was undeserved. So I'm yeah, they, I, seven and a half seems very high. Their Pythagorean record was somewhat better. It was almost five wins as compared to the three games they actually won. <sighs> I'm I'm also going under on this one. I think I'm going to make this an under lock. The DBI wow. projections really do not like them at 5.6 wins. And also, I don't feel strongly about anyone else. So what the heck? Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, a line of 11 and a half wins. Wow. That is, there's no one with higher than that, right? That's very high. Um, it, is, it is, in fact, tied for the highest with Kansas City and Philadelphia. They're a good team. They could easily win that many games, but... I think just because of the division they're in and the number of things that could possibly go wrong, um, I think the under is somewhat safer here. I'm also going under. We need to disagree more. (laughs) I may have to start picking some things differently just to disagree. Cleveland Browns with a line of nine and a half. I mentioned this earlier. DVOA projections have them for 10 and a half wins on average. The second most in or third most in the NFL. Behind Kansas City and San Francisco, or fourth most, Buffalo is also a, a hair of it. Nope, fifth. I forgot Dallas. Not that would be an interesting almanac chapter to read. Um, if I had to guess, without having read the chapter, maybe again this is priors on the quarterback where we've seen um, Deshaun Watson be very good in a large sample, and then I guess this is the opposite of Geno Smith, very bad in the most recent sample. And the question is whether. Last year's time with the Browns is more representative of what to expect going forward with him. And I think 9.5 wins with that much uncertainty is a lot to ask. So I guess I will lean under here. I like all of the other teams in their division better than them. 
And I think, I mean, even though I went under on the Bengals, I think it's partially just because of how hard the division is. And I do not see it with the Browns. There, there have been training picks. The Eagles were a training pick. They were kind of in the same place last year. They lingered and they were like one quarterback breakout away from being obviously a Super Bowl team. I get it. This one to me, I'm the difference, like adding Eli Moore is not worth this many wins. Is this the new player that you're just shorting their name for no particular reason? No, I mean, there haven't been that many additions to the team this offseason. I just meant that you called him Eli instead of Elijah Moore. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I also am going in under here. We have not picked an over any of us in the last four teams. <laughs> I, I suspect that may change here. The Dallas Cowboys have a line of 10 wins. I think I take over on them every single year, and I'm not going to deviate from that. Um, they they have the potential to have just an incredible offense with the addition of Brandon Cooks and already being pretty good last year and um, not force-feeding carries to Zika Elliott. The one thing that really gives me pause about them is the comments that Mike McCarthy made after um, Kellen Moore departed about how like, all Kellen wants to do is score points or something like that, which is like... <laughs> There's some red flags there, and <laughs> yeah. this, this, this is your analytics king, Mike <laughs> And yeah, their their comments in the off season, and who knows how much they reveal. But at the same time, there's there is that nagging concern in the back of my mind of like how much how much of Dallas's offensive strength over the past few years has been because of Kellen Moore's involvement, and what will losing him do to their offense? So I, I think there's there's more downside downside than would otherwise be if if Kellen Moore were still there and there if uh, Mike McCarthy hadn't said those things. But I I think due to the talent on the roster and how good they've been over the past couple of years, even if they can't show it in the playoffs, um, I'm going to take the over with them. All he cares about is scoring points and his mom and school. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm also taking the over on this Cowboys team. I, I love Kellen Moore as a coordinator. Would have been so excited to have him in the Northwest in some capacity, but I this is a they have enough talent that they're going to break through. Like Mike McCarthy is they're not going to be losing games and not passing the ball. They're going they have Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Cooks. They're going to pass the ball. We're all in agreement here. I'm also an over. Denver Broncos. Good <laughs> friend Russell Wilson a line of bounce back line of eight and a half wins. That seems really high. Weren't they like nine and a half last year before everything happened? I wanted to make this a lock so bad. (laughs) Um, I, I cannot take the over here. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the under that. That seems really high for a line for them. I'm still taking the over. I'm not going to make it a lock though. I want to believe, so I'm taking the over here. Uh, Detroit Lions with a line of nine and a half wins. It's funny that this is kind of low given the amount of hype that the Lions have gotten. And I think some of the hype is just that, like, oh, their division is not very good, so they might win their division, which I think is totally fair. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win a ton of games this year. Um, I guess I don't love the other teams in their division so uh let's see who is who is the uh who are they who's their division playing this year i'm gonna look at their schedule and make a decision here uh 
Okay, they have to play the AFC West, so that's not the easiest thing. Um, I really, I think the right thing to do is take the under, but I want to root for them, and I think they're fun, so I I will take the over and cross my fingers and hope for the best. I'm also going over. It's not that I don't want to root for the Lions. (laughs) The, The Lions are on the Seahawks' corner. They were, I mean, obviously they were very hopeful to the Seahawks last year, but they've gotten the hype this offseason and not the Seahawks. They're playing in week two. I will be in the building. I don't want to root for the Lions for those reasons, <laughs> so I'm taking the under. Staying in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, a line of seven and a half wins. They're another team that has gotten like a weird amount of hype. Maybe I just follow too many Packers fans on Twitter, but I think a lot of people just assume that Jordan Love is going to be competent when really we have no idea because we haven't really seen him play. On the other hand, seven and a half wins is pretty low and they do have a lot of games against not so good teams. And I don't love the teams in their division that are not the Lions. So I guess I will take over and not feel great about it. I do you follow a lot of Packers accounts on Twitter? Did that did that <laughs> hatred turn into a very real friendship? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know it. Yeah, they're so their fans are very uh, passionate, but I, I think the like the people that actually cover the team, there's a lot of people that do a really good job. So maybe that's how um, maybe that's how that happened. Okay. Well, some, some people uh, who cover the team they think you hate football. <laughs> that, um, I have not seen a lot of his tweets in a long time. <laughs> I am. What did you pick, Ben? Over? Uh, I said over. <sighs> I'm also going over. I'm not only going to go over. I'm going to make this a lock. Wow. Just as a pick against the rest of the NFC North, I've already made Chicago under a lock, but I'm not going to do it from for the, the the other team in this division, although I'm tempted. So I'll be optimistic and have an overlock and an underlock. Houston Texans, line of a six and a half wins with CJ Stroud. That seems kind of crazy. So I'm just, I'm going to say under. I'm taking the over here on the Texans. And I think this team is going to be pretty good. I'm taking the under here. I am. By the way, the Arizona's chances at the number one pick, we mentioned their own chances at the number one pick, but also Houston's chances. Oh, boy. That, that's uh, part of it. They they have no incentive to lose at the end. Not that NFL teams actually do that, right? I mean, if WNBA teams can't even figure it out, neither can NFL teams. But I think CJ Stroud is going to be good this year. I think the defense is going to be way better. This is a believing in... I'll, I'll pick against the Niners here coming up. This is a believing in Demeco Ryans over. And I think that seeing just even seeing them in the preseason there's something about i saw robert sala and i saw Demeco ryan's the way that those dudes have their players hitting is it is at a different speed than the rest of the nfl and losing them might mean something for the 49ers but i think for the texans Demeco ryan's is going to have those dudes playing indianapolis colts have a line of six and a half wins oh man this division is so hard because they all have to play each other and they all have such win totals but for me, it's so hard to take over on either Houston or Indianapolis. So I'll say under again. And I, I think I feel probably better about this than the Texans one where it's it's um, I think the future is bright for Anthony Richardson. But given 
what they have on offense around him and how raw he is, it would be somewhat shocking if they won a lot of games this year, even though they are in the AFC South. I what is the number six and a half? Yep, I'm making this a lock for an under. <laughs> lock, interesting. I kind of just want to make a lock at some point. Yeah, uh, I am also going under. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, a line of ten wins in the AFC South. I guess I can't say under for the whole division. So if uh, if Houston and Indianapolis aren't winning any games, then I guess the Jaguars need to be winning some games. Um, and I I think they could be really good. They um, they're getting Calvin Ridley. They had moments last year of being pretty good, and it wouldn't be that surprising if Trevor Lawrence took a leap into being one of the top quarterbacks that people have always said that he has the potential to be. So I will um, take the over here partially because of the schedule, but partially because I think they could be a good team in their own right. I'm over also. I am not going to take the under in the whole division, but I am going to take the under on the Jaguars. I've also taken 11 unders out of 16 teams so far, which might not be great. Kansas City (laughs) Chiefs, a line of 11 and a half wins. I think they're another team I always take the over on, and um, it's hard (laughs) with the team that I have to think a couple seconds before I can think of anybody who Patrick Mahomes might be throwing to tomorrow night or tonight as you're listening to this. Wow. Sky Moore or um, <laughs> Kadarius Tony too. Or, yeah, if, to the extent that he's on the field. Um, what, what's their their backup tight end's name? I can't even remember his name. Um, I think it's number 84. <laughs> Is there another uh, white guy who looks exactly the same as Travis Kelsey when they throw to him? Is that the guy you're I'm thinking yeah. of? Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I know him. I hate him when I have Travis in. I don't know him by name, but I, I'm familiar with his work. Yeah. So I, I take the over on the Chiefs, all this to say. I, I'm going over also on the Chiefs. I think I'm going to take an under on the Chiefs. I'm a little concerned. Like, yes, obviously, they've always been good, but they've always had Travis Kelsey. So that, that worries me a little bit enough to push me to the under here. Mahomes is at the point that he's like an instant over, depending on what the if as long as the line's not twelve and a half or something. I think Mahomes is good enough that if he's healthy, he's going to win those games. The Las Vegas Raiders have a line of six and a half wins, so their total is two wins lower than the Broncos. That seems. I don't think they're going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be that much worse than the Broncos. So. Uh, I guess I will say over. I'm definitely going over on this one. Yeah, let's let's make that a lock. Jimmy G believers, obviously. Uh, LA Chargers, a line of nine and a half wins. Just put the over down for all of us. You know what we're gonna pick here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I now do don't it, feel though. great saying over for three straight <laughs> AFC West teams, but. Maybe they'll just all beat up on the poor Broncos. <laughs> I Los Angeles, all four could be over. No Gray is the Chiefs' backup tight end. He's number okay. three. So. I was going to say Jonas Gray, but I didn't think that was right. <laughs> Jonas Gray was a running back, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Los, Los Angeles Rams have a line of six and a half wins. This one is hard because there's a path where they could be like a decent football team if Matthew Stafford returns to form and Cooper Cup comes back. But there's also like the 
oh, we have our first round pick for the first time in forever, and we're playing a bunch of inexperienced players, so there's not a lot of urgency to win games here. Um, all that said, six and a half feels so low for a Sean McVay coach team, even taking into account what happened last year. So I will say the over, and I do not feel great at all about it. This is an under. Yeah, if Cooper Cup were healthier, I would take the over, but I'm fading the injury concerns right now. Miami Dolphins, a line of nine and a half wins. I will say under just due to concerns about Tua's long-term ability to stay on the field, plus their division is really not very fun um, this year if the Jets have made some improvements. So they could easily win 10 games, but I think it's more likely that they end up with eight or nine wins. I'm going over on Miami. I think I need to go over just because I haven't taken enough of them. Minnesota Vikings, a line of eight and a half wins. Ben, do you want this to be a lock? <laughs> oh, yeah. I At some point, I will think about what I want my locks to be, but it's not the Vikings. <laughs> oh. Um, what what made you ask about locks with Vikings in particular? Uh, their their DVOA projection is 6.4 wins. Wow. So that, I think, is a, a bit crazy. That, um. that, is, that is aggressive. <laughs> Their Pythagorean expectation last year was 7.9 wins. Yeah, I so I think they could be better than last year. Kirk Cousins, like he's not a great quarterback, but he can play better than he did last year. And I think they their offense can be better than it was last year, especially if um Addison ends up hitting. So and they have four games against the NFC South, which is always nice. So I'll I'll take the I'll take the over here. I think they could win nine games. I am taking the over on the Vikings. I'm the only one taking the under here. Wow. Okay. I might even make the Vikings over a lock. (laughs) I'm the only one here who cares about the analytics. I watched the quarterback show. I believe in Kevin O'Connell. I believe in Kirk Cousins. This is my team. Jordan Addison. This is going, in fact, mark it down as a lock for the Vikings. (laughs) You are to the quarterback show as I am to the hard knocks in season. New England Patriots, a line of seven and a half wins. That seems high. I'm taking the under. I am going to also take the under. Yeah. The division is just too good. I like all three of the other teams in the division. I'm taking the over here, although I might have to rethink that Miami over at some point here. Uh, New Orleans, a line of nine and a half wins. Wow. Every year, I I think they're a team I always take the same thing on, which is under. And for a lot of years in a row, I ended up being wrong on them. But then last year, they finally did it. So I were were they one of my locks last year with the under? I believe Saints over was one of my locks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Saints nine... Nine and a half wins. I, I will take the under, but I'm I'm still thinking about what I want my locks to be. I am taking the over for the Saints. I am taking the over. DVOA projections have them at 10.1. Uh, New York Giants, seven and a half. This is kind of the opposite of last year where they had a really high total because their schedule is very easy. And now this year, they have a very hard projected schedule and now their line is much lower. 
they were not that great last year. They made a commitment to Daniel Jones. I don't think it'll go very well for them. And the other teams in their division are quite good. So I will take the under on them, even I though 7.5 feels like it's the right number, but I'll take the under. I'm also under. <laughs> Let's make that a clean sweep. New York Jets, fresh off hard knocks with a line of nine and a half wins. That's lower than I would expect it to be, given the the Aaron Rodgers hype and the extra home game for the AFC and everything. So I will I'll take the over here. I am also taking the over. I don't want to, but I'm taking the over. Philadelphia Eagles, a line of eleven and a half wins. That is quite high. Um, they lost a lot of pieces on defense. Um, their offense was very good and still has everybody coming back. So I guess we should expect that to continue. But 11 and a half is a really high over under for a team that has only been dominant for one year. And I think I will take the under for them. Also, also taking the under on the Eagles. Yeah. I, even last year, their Pythagorean expectation was 11.2 wins. So. A lot of indications they will regress, even if they will still be quite good. Pittsburgh Steelers, a line of nine wins. Steelers are one of these teams that everyone's been hyping over the offseason. I'm not really sure why. I guess they're never, under Tomlin, they've never really been terrible. But right. I I don't see what we're supposed to see, see from them that is supposed to be this great team. So, um, yeah, they could easily get to nine wins, but... I think 10 would be more surprising than eight. So I will take the under. I am over on the Steelers and I love the Steelers team. I think Kenny Pickett's awesome. I love George Pickens, their defense. This is a good team. DVA projection of 9.9 wins. This is a bit of a nerd fight. Barnwell had them as one of his four teams most likely to decline this season. To decline? Their low turnover rate over the second half of the season. San Francisco 49ers. You didn't pick line, anything, did you? I, I said over. Oh, okay. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, <laughs> a line of 10 and a half wins. This one's pretty hard. Um, I guess if I'm relatively high on the Seahawks and Rams, then that should probably come at the expense of the 49ers. Um, there are enough question marks where... Maybe their defense will regress. Maybe Brock Purdy isn't actually what he showed at the end of last year. So I will um, take the under here. I am also an under on the 49ers. Of course you are. I mean, I think you can believe that they're going to regress. And, you know, they won 13 games last year. There's room for that, and they can still be over 10 and a half. So I I am going to take the over here now that they have Nick Bosa signed to the largest contract ever for an NFL defender, the start of what Tristan's been talking about in terms of the Niners getting more expensive, although I guess offset for now by the fact that you're starting a seventh-round pick at quarterback. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a line of six-and-a-half wins. I think they could win more games than that, given their schedule, and Baker Mayfield, he's an NFL quarterback. He's not like completely terrible so i i think given the division he's in and how low this win total is i think over is plausible 
what we talked about for the with the Buccaneers for so long was just how talented of a team they had. They plop in Brady and they end up being a very good team. I understand it's been a few years since then they've gotten older. How do you get to the Falcons being at eight and a half? Is that right? I mean, again, yes. the DVOA projections have have them three games. Oh, we're ahead trusting of the... DVOA projections. I'm just saying <laughs> it's not like it's just like you know, just hype. The same ratings that took away our four consecutive DVOA championships. <laughs> the I I just don't understand. There's still a talented team offensively and defensively, and with competent quarterback play, either from Kyle Trask or Baker Mayfield, they're getting past this in that division. It's an over. I am also an over on this one. Tennessee Titans, a line of seven and a half wins. Seven and a half? Yeah. Yeah, that, that seems low to me given their what what else is in their division and if Brian Tannehill can stay healthy, um, I think they can be a decently good football team. So I will take the over. Give me a lock on the Titans for the over. Yeah, I considered I, if I didn't already have three locks, uh, two locks, I should say, I, I would have gone with that one here. It's, I, the, it's the first one that a lot of these I'm like, oh, that's a team that I'm I like Denver. I was so excited to pick the over on. Right. You can just feel the regression coming. I think Tennessee, this is a. Uh, People are sick of cheering for this team. Win total. Or Liz, where, where are they at in DVOA? Uh, they're a little below this, 7.3. Okay. I'm I'm a little shocked by that. But uh, Tennessee, hopefully returning Tannehill, being a good roster overall. I This is an easy over. I will also pick the over here. We close out with the Washington Commanders under new management with a line of six and a half wins. Well, new ownership, not new uh, on-field management with uh, Ron Rivera continuing as head coach. I don't expect great things from them, but I think they could fall into seven wins somehow. So I will actually, no, I really don't think they could fall into seven wins somehow. So I'll take the under. <laughs> I think I'm going over for Washington because they always see this is a team that seems to win seven games. They're always seven and 11, uh, seven and 10, I should say. Uh, not quite seven and nine bullshit. I believe in Sam Howell. I'm taking the over here. Okay. My locks are Atlanta and Dallas over and Indianapolis under. Atlanta, Atlanta and- over? <laughs> That is, that is wild. I don't know if we've ever had a lock where it disagreed with both other people before. And what were the unders? Uh, so Atlanta and Dallas over, and the under for Indianapolis. Okay. What is it about Atlanta that you like? Their offense was really good, even with bad quarterback play when Mariota was playing. And to the extent that we think some of that is Arthur Smith, and some of that was their offensive line, which was really good, and. Um, Drake London could be really good in the second year. Maybe they'll throw to Kyle Pitts more. So if they get any improvement at quarterback, which is a huge question mark and any improvement in defense, they're playing a terrible schedule. I think they could get to nine games. Okay. They're the, the PFF forecast has, has them as playing the easiest schedule in the, in the whole NFL. And if you want to have fun, look at who they're playing against. <laughs> They're like from the NFC West, they get the Cardinals. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> All right, two things to note here. 
Uh, I am going back and changing my Miami pick to an under uh, since I ended up balanced enough at 15 overs. Uh, Tristan had 20 overs out of 32 teams. So, How many overs do I have? Uh, what was your pick on Tampa Bay? Oh, uh, I said over for them. So then you are precisely balanced at 16 and 16. Okay. So, uh, as always, we look forward to revisiting this come January when the NFL season is complete. Uh, well, I guess we'll re- we'll revisit when the Seahawks season is complete. Hopefully, <laughs> that's not the end of the NFL regular season. Uh, if you haven't already listened to our weekly pod, a lot of you know football talk on there. Not a lot of Seahawks talk since we saved it for that. And uh, the season starts. Uh, if you're listening to this Thursday, the NFL season starts tonight. The Seahawks wow. will play on Sunday. It's here. It's time. We're ready. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Go Hawks. And thanks for listening. Thanks. We all agreed on 17 of the 32. I think that's lower than usual. Maybe. <laughs> it felt like we were constantly agreeing, but... No, last year we agreed 13 times. And, oh, of the 13 times oh. that we all agreed, 12 of them were correct. Okay, hopefully we'll get that at least. I feel like whenever we've agreed on locks, they were all correct too, but we didn't actually agree on any this year. <laughs> what do you interest in that anyway? Okay. Okay. Aramis is going to go see Bottom starring Marshawn Lynch right now. That's what I saw on Monday. It did what, not come up on the pod, but Marshawn was, was outstanding. What, that was your review? You can include this in the You can keep this in the podcast. Uh, apparently, Marshawn. most of his lines were improvised, so he was, he was, he was quite funny. I mean, really? the movie in, in, in its entirety is good. But I mean, Io Edinburgh, of course. This is like the first like big movie that she's been in, right? As far as I know, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about Marshawn Lynch movie star era. Yeah, he has a, a dense filmography, but other than Westworld, he's always played himself. Is he playing himself in this one or is he? No, he is not playing himself. He's playing a role. It really would be hard for me to see Marshawn Lynch and not have him be Marshawn Lynch. He, yeah, he, he disappeared into the character. I love it. <laughs>